It's time once again for another episode of All That's Jazz, the podcast that explores everything in the world of jazz. And here now is your host, Alan Scott. Hello and welcome to another episode of All That's Jazz. Today, our guest is a very gifted and talented jazz pianist and composer by the name of Hiromi Uihara. She is the composer of a recent release, which is a new suite for piano string quintet. And it was actually inspired, if I understand this correctly, by the emotional toll that it took on you and others during pandemic. This release is called Silver Lining Suite, and it was released just a short time ago on Telarc Labels. Hiromi, it is a pleasure to have you with us today on All That's Jazz. Thank you for having me. So tell me about the inspiration and sort of the backstory to how this all came about with this particular recording. We all know well so many of your other releases and albums, but this one, uh, I, I think, it, it, it appears to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, that this is something very special to you in terms of what you have put together here. And it's even been characterized as a breathtaking blend of jazz invention as well as classical composition. Is that uh, an appropriate characteristic? Well, the string quartet plus piano, which is the piano quintet, is such a classical format. So, you know... Uh, I think it blends in that way. It can. <laughs> I, I don't really think about genres, but most of the piano quintet format were written for classical music, so probably. So you didn't necessarily start out as wanting to compose this as a classical piece versus a blend of jazz and classical? No, I was just writing just with my emotions, you know. I mean, my I was on the road in March 2020, and all of a sudden, whole dates got canceled and postponed. And I just, I think like everybody else, just didn't know what to do. And only thing I could do was just staying at home, practicing, playing some music, and also writing. Writing music was probably the most positive thing that I could do at the time. And so I started to write a lot of music. And so it's like my emotional journey since, you know, this pandemic started. Now, was this a very difficult period of time for you? I know it's been difficult for all of us that have gone through mm -hmm. pandemic, but I'm sure it's compounded for you because as an artist, you have no release, you have no opportunity to perform and express your music? Well, it was very difficult to not be able to perform, but at the same time it was difficult to face the fact that how difficult it is for the entertainment industry, you know, and I witnessed a couple of clubs, you know, got closed for good, and that's really sad to see, you know, 
lot of um, people who belongs to music industry lost job and they're jobless and there is no concert and there is no job for them so when the pandemic started i decided to straight myself in tokyo uh where my family was and um actually in japan the entertainment shows were allowed with half capacity from last summer in 2020 so i started to do a couple of shows at the club called blue no tokyo so normally the capacity is like uh, 300 but you know we had to do half capacity which is like 150 but instead i did double time number of shows <laughs> i did mm. like 16 days 32 shows You know, normally I do week shows. So, so I just kept doing the shows there because if I play, then the people who works at the club and who works in music industry gets to work. So I wanted to do as many shows as I can when it's you know when it meets the government's um, policy, you know, uh, regulations. So far, I did like 80 shows, and. It was just great to see, you know, the piano technicians, piano movers, audio engineers, lighting tech, all these people working, you know. When you were doing these series of performances at Blue Note Tokyo, were you performing the Silver Lining Suite or were you doing uh, some of the other music from your discography as well? Well, the first series I did was in August to September in 2020. And that time I did whole show solo. And then the second time I did was uh, December to January 2021. And that time, since I did whole, you know, 32 show solo before, I wanted to find something else. And But all, all of my musicians I played with in the past couldn't travel here you know they lived in uh, different places in the world so I was trying to think what I can do you know who do I want to play with what kind of instrumentation do I want to write for and then I suddenly thought about this piano and strings quartet and because um, there's a one violinist who I worked with in 2015 when I played with a Philharmonic Orchestra in Japan And he had really open mind for all different kinds of music, even though he's like a pure classical player, classical violinist, first class classical violinist. But um, he was into improvisation. He was like really curious about many other kinds of music. So I always remembered him. I thought, ah, maybe piano and string quartet, you know, I can write for, you know, this instrumentation. Maybe that would be great. And That's how I started to write. And so the first um, time that I played this music was live. I didn't actually record first and do the live shows. I did live shows and recorded, actually. When did you start composing this? And when was it first performed? Um, I started to write about uh, September, like summertime in 2020. And the first performance was in December. So that went pretty quick for as as involved as this seems to be. Yes, actually, the Silver Lining Suite, this suite was composed in that period. But the other songs were, I started to compose like from the beginning of the pandemic, about April, May. So it's about seven, eight months for the composition period, I think. 
And then you formulated a, a string quartet through musicians that you knew or had a previous acquaintance with. Mm-hmm. And that became the whole basis for this recording. This was actually recorded at a studio in uh, Tokyo. Yes, uh, Studio Tanta. And so you assembled the quartet and you went in and uh, started the recording sessions. How long did the recording sessions take? I was three days. Really? That's yeah. fantastic. This sounds like it was somewhat of a personal journey for you and maybe a catharsis uh, of, of releasing the emotions and the frustrations possibly of the pandemic. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the music really kind of heals me, you know, the heals all the negative feeling that, like, what should I do? Oh, like, we don't really know when this um, will end and all these anxieties, worries, you know, fear. Like, when I could write something new and when I could feel when I could have the proof that, okay, at least I can write under this, any kind of circumstances, I can still write and create something new. But that was really made me feel stronger. Now, you worked in partnership with Blue Note Tokyo, and that sort of gave you the impetus to get this out to the world and, and start to have people realize, hear, and enjoy the music? Mm-hmm. Well, honestly, like the fact that I ha- I could uh, have a place to perform my music continuously was really encouraging. And, you know, I had a lot of support from the audience, even the audience had to keep being quiet and they all wear masks and, it, you know, everything was different from before. But still, it was better than nothing. And you're quoted as saying that you started to put together this whole project uh, and and you had said, I've always had a passion for writing for strings and uh, having studied composition while you were a student at Berklee College of Music. Is Mm -hmm. that uh, where a lot of this came from? Oh yeah, definitely. You know, I was studying about strings and horns. Basically, I was studying about the instruments that I don't play when I was in school. I was always fascinated by the sound of strings because the strings sounds a little bit like vocal to me. It it really sings as human being would sing, and there is no other instruments like that. I was always fascinated by the sound. Do you consider yourself more of a uh jazz musician or a classical musician oh i don't know i mean i'm definitely um i definitely love both you know and i enjoy listening to both and i also love listening to rock music and i just don't think about genre because my first piano teacher uh listened to music like that you know she would she was a classical piano teacher but she would be she was like someone who would play, let's say, like a CD of Sebastian Bach, Johann Sebastian Bach. Then the next she would play Al Jarreau. Then she would play Jackson 5. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, she was like, this is all good music. You, you feel it or you don't feel it. So that, that's how I always grew up listening to music. So when you put this all together and you... you got this published and released uh, as a uh, as an album how do you, how do you think 
jazz audiences will either receive or perceive this recording. Meaning that for those people that are jazz purists and they listen to this, they're going to maybe say, hmm, where, where's the jazz? Or will they know where the jazz is? Well, there, there is a lot of improvisation, you know, like I play a lot of solos. I mean, what, what categorizes jazz? I don't know. But if the, I mean, to me, there is a lot to do with the improvisation, amount of improvisation. And there's a lot of improvisation there. So, you know, for some people, it's jazz and some people it's not. And I don't mind whoever listens to this and they can just decide what it is. And if they like it, they do. If they don't, they don't. <laughs> oh, true, true. And I will tell you from my perspective uh, as, a, uh, as a jazz radio host and uh, as a lover of jazz, I, I am fascinated by this music. I think it is absolutely marvelous. It, it's Thank just you. really beautiful music. And it does move you, like you said. It, it's not so much the genre as it is the emotion and how it moves you and how mm -hmm. it should move others. Mm -hmm. So when you started to put this together, uh, if I could just talk to you a little bit about uh, the, some of the pieces in here. Uh, the suite opens up with isolation. Tell me about that and, and what were your thoughts and uh, the emotions going on there? That's the first movement of this superlining suite, and that's actually consisted by four different movements. And the first movement is like just when the pandemic started, I was self-isolated. You know, I couldn't play with people. I had to play with people remotely, which is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and everything was remote, remote, you know. And it was like, I don't know, it was very boring and uncertain and then the second movement the unknown is like fighting against the unknown
everything unknown environment the unknown life like something that i'm not used to yet you know then the third movement is drifters and i just felt like being drifted you know not really know where to place myself This pandemic thing completely changed my life and I just felt like being drifted. Then the fourth movement is called Fortitude and, you know, just kept writing music and kept, of course, kept keep playing and also like imagining that someday I'm going to play this piece like all over the world like I used to do was like a big encouragement to me and that's a fortitude, you know, the sign of fortitude to me. emotional journey since pandemic started you know and I, and I think that your reflections are true and spot on to some of the same feelings that all of us have had even even though we're not necessarily composers or musicians and people worldwide have had the same sort of experiences there was this isolation there was doubt there was drifting mm-hmm. you wondering uh when is all of this going to end and what comes mm. next? Or, or is there an end to this? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And then as you move forward through the suite, uh, you culminate it or finish it all off with 11.49 p.m., which is uh, a piece you did before. But at the mm. same time, I, I guess that's that's the uh, the genesis of hope and something new and there's going to be a sunrise the next day and everything will be much better.
Yes, the sun will rise again. That was my, you know, intention of putting this piece again in the album. And I, I'm sure that people will certainly uh, experience that and 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 recognize those emotions uh, by listening to each of the pieces. And it, it, as I said, it's it's truly beautiful music. You know, you. while while you were um, in Japan uh, during this period, et cetera, and, and, and just as of late, uh, you also performed at the uh, Summer Olympics. Tell us about that. Ah, yeah. It was, um, well, as you know, there was no audience, but there were a lot of athletes still in the stadium. So just like usual, I just tried to deliver everything I could have and just play for the athletes and just play with my heart, you know. So you've come a long way. Uh, you started out as a very young person uh, playing piano at around the age of six, I believe. Were you mm -hmm. playing classical music or were you playing jazz or popular music? What, what genre were you involved in then? Well, um, I started taking lessons with a classical piano teacher, but um, my first piano teacher happened to be a big jazz fan. So I grew up listening to jazz, and you know I was playing the record of uh, Oscar Peterson, Errol Garner, when I was eight. So I grew up listening to both. How did you come about moving to the U.S. Uh, and attending school at Berkeley? How did you uh, hear about or get involved with Berkeley College of Music? Um, well, of course, I heard I've heard so many great things about the school, and I also went to. Um, Berkeley before and you know so that I can see the you know what's going on there and just for like two weeks travel there and um, I just love Boston so much that that's like one thing that I really wanted to live there and also just the fact that there are so many music college in Boston not only Berkeley it's like on Mass Ave the, the where the Berkeley is there is like I think three three conservatories New England Conservatory mm -hmm. Berkeley Classical Music and Boston Conservatory and you just literally walk into musicians like every step you make and that that was like amazing feeling considering you know I'm from a little town called Hamamatsu in Japan and that never happened to me before so I was just fascinated by it. So is that maybe uh, the inspiration for one of the albums that you did is one of my favorites, The Place to Be? So being in Boston or in that area or that environment was The Place to Be? <laughs> yeah, The Place to Be, actually, um, I wrote that piece, like just feeling that when, wherever I go in the world to perform, people always makes me feel like this is a place to be. And I wanted to write about the gratitude I had. So it's not necessarily just a specific geography, but instead it's the place that you are and it's the place to be. Yeah. Actually, I, wrote, I did write one piece for Boston, though, called Cape Cod Chips, mm -hmm. which is the potato chips I love. Oh, 
Whenever I go perform to Boston, people bring that chips to me. <laughs> oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. What a, what a great story. I love that. So uh, you went to Berkeley in 1999, and then in 2003, you already had a debut album out, so you didn't wait very long. No, fortunately, no. <laughs> but you had some support from a... Uh, a jazz bassist who had a friend uh, by some uh, gentleman by the name of Ahmad Jamal. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, yeah, my professor who I was I was uh, studying with at Berkeley. I was studying actually a uh, composition and arrangement with him, but he happened to be a good friend of Ahmad. And when Richard Evans heard my compositions, he said, you know, he wanted to play that to Ahmad and. He actually did all over the phone. And a couple of days later, I get a phone call from Mama Jamal. That was like a miraculous story to me. <laughs> you couldn't have been in better hands. It, it's so fantastic. <laughs> uh, and speaking of being in good hands, uh, at the age of 17, you were already performing with uh, Chick Corea. Yeah, Mac. I, I'm not sure if I can say performed. I just, you know, played one piece with him. Then, you know, this um, happened to be in Tokyo when he was in Tokyo. And we happened to be in the same building where he was rehearsing. And I introduced myself and, you know, he told me to play something. And I played and he invited me to the concert that he had next day to improvise together. That was just one piece, you know. Then I met him again in, after I made a debut and... We played in Tokyo Jazz Festival, and then that was the real performance. We did like 70 minutes concert together. Then we made a record called Duet in 2007. And yeah, that was, that can be called, yeah, I really played with him, but not when I was 17. It was just like, you know, playing with this improvisation. And, but it was like, wow, this is a real thing. That's how I felt when I first you know, experienced, you know, the artistry of Chikoria. Did he have much influence on you from that point forward in your career? Well, even before, I just grew up listening to his music. And I think for anyone who grew up listening to his music, you know, his, his um, way of playing, way, way of composition, he's, um, you know, he's a big, big musical icon. You also toured with Stanley Clark. Mm -hmm. Tell us about a little bit of uh, that uh, experience. Well, that was um, another amazing learning experience. And, um, you know, doing a trio with Stanley and Lenny was amazing. And also I was um, playing with uh, other musicians like uh, Ronald Bruno Jr., Rassan Sirota. And that was um yeah, every minute of learning experience very inspiring, and every minute I was hungry to learn. You, you've had a very, very exciting career, and where where do you go next? Now that you've produced this Silver Lining Suites album, uh, what else are you working on, or what comes next uh, for Hiromi? Well, the album just got released, so I'm actually looking forward to tour with this record. I just did a couple of shows in New York and that was amazing and just hoping to do more of those in the world and uh, I'm now in Japan because I'm waiting for the Japan tour to start in 10 days. 
Well, I will tell you, it's absolutely amazing that the music and the body of work that you have done is is incredible. And it's truly amazing that you have accomplished all that you have uh, through the years. And what else uh, is there for you on the horizon in terms of maybe trying something different? Or do you have any idea of going in a different direction or a focus? Um, I don't know yet, actually, because I, for example, this string quartet uh, thing with piano, I never thought I would, uh, it wasn't like in my plan either. But, uh, you know, just whole pandemic happened and um, when I was just thinking about what I could do, suddenly, you know, it came to my mind. So just like that, you know, I just want to follow my instincts and inspirations and not being scared by anything that I haven't done in the past. And just, you know, when I want to do something, just keep going for it. Is there one particular musician that you have not had the opportunity to work with and you are just hoping that one day you will be able to work with a certain person in the business? Oh, <laughs> well, the person actually passed, so that would be Frank Zappa. <laughs> oh, really? That's yeah. interesting. <laughs> uh, I would love to hear you uh, arrange music of, of Frank's uh, and uh, perform that uh, or record it for that matter. I, I'm sure <laughs> that it would be fantastic music. Mm. And I think it's music that's underappreciated anyway. Yeah, yeah. But i huge, huge fan of Zappa, you know, beautiful music and hard to categorize. It's Zappa period <laughs> to me. <laughs> Well, it has been a uh, distinct pleasure to have you as a guest of ours on All That's Jazz, and we wish you all the best for the future. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of All That's Jazz with our special guest, pianist and composer, Hiromi. We'd like to thank Ben Sedrin for the use of Mr. P's Shuffle as our theme song. And visit us again next time for another interesting conversation on All That's Jazz. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating on the streaming service you use. All That's Jazz is available on every major streaming app, including Podbean, Apple Podcast, and Spotify, as well as Facebook and online at allthatsjazz.net.